down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Hello and welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm Mason Joseph with my other host, Jacob. So uh, this is a special episode. We are doing a uh, recording at my house for once. Um, and since my daughter has gone to bed, we are recording on our patio, so we apologize for any weird noises, possibly the air conditioner, that sort of stuff. Um, this week it is my wine, so, uh, we'll get into that real quickly, starting off. Chateau St. Michel, Dry Riesling, out of the Columbia Valley, out of Washington. Mm. So, uh, did you already try a sip? I have not tried a sip, I just smelled it, it has a good, good, well, what, what I, uh have come to expect from Riesling, yeah. which is kind of like an apple, like an apple juice sort of pear, yeah. like mixed with pear smell, uh, good, like floral though. Also, so like maybe like, maybe not apple exactly, but more like apple blossoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'll have a sip while you uh, give some good yeah. information about it. So the uh, Chateau Saint-Michel dry Riesling is a dry, refreshing style of Riesling with uh, beautiful fruit flavors crisp acidity and an elegant finish it offers inviting sweet citrus aromas and flavors this is an incredible versatile food wine and my favorite with oysters now it's not my favorite with oysters that's the kind of the recap from the site now this winery is like the oldest winery in washington state oh okay um like 1954 or so Hmm. and it's been through several iterations apparently like 1954 yeah 1954 wow that they've well like it's interesting yeah so like oh like continuous wine i guess i'm not i'm not totally sure there but uh there's a company called atelia atelia okay it's the company that is used philip morris used to be they own this winery so uh being a philip morris winery and a lot of money behind it it's an actually really robust website like they have oh, okay. like the different like, so it's like a multi vineyard winery like you know they've got like a different uh, mm-hmm. brand so the Columbia Valley is a specific brand for them okay. so they've got the total assist, acidity which is uh, 0.68 grams per 100 milliliters mm-hmm. uh, pH of 2.96 residual sugars 0.67 grams per 100 milliliters so the acidity in the sugar is like just a point off of it. Uh, so 12.5% uh, alcohol by volume. So as we know, that can be 11.5 to 13.5. Um, so they have a product sheet, which I really love when they do, when they give good information, and they do. So the 2016 Vintage Experience, the best of both worlds with hot spring and early summer, but also a cool fall season. Cool te- cooler temperatures in August and September slowed down ripening and resulted in longer hang time for the grapes and the longest harvest on record in Washington State, August 15th through November 15th. Wow. So, overall, 2016 saw very favorable growing conditions, producing wines with ripeness and elegance. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of us who those who listen chronologically, provided we release them chronologically, 2017 total wine drop-off everywhere in the yeah. world, according to the, the thing we're reading. I say everywhere in the world, but they really didn't talk about the U.S. in that. Yeah. And they didn't talk about Mexico, and Mexico's a big wine producer, too, apparently. Right. So, 
now the vineyard. Riesling fruit for the dry Riesling comes from our best grower vineyards in the Columbia Valley. Sunny days and cool evening temperatures create ideal conditions for intense aroma and flavor development in the ripening grapes. Riesling grapes are picked under cool nighttime skies and to preserve the variety's bright, juicy style and retain the natural acidity. So um, they go through about, now, cool fermentation and stainless steel tanks. So okay. now I've got a bunch on the winery, you know, the winery itself, but they make... I've noticed that like a lot of the uh, white wines are, are more frequently in stainless steel yeah. instead of oak, which I, I wonder if that's uh, just typical, something to look up, I guess, just typical of white wines, or if that is a, or if it just happens to be the ones we've tried our stainless steel so to me i think it has to do with the taste of the grape mm-hmm. and i think the red wines take on a lot of those flavors yeah um but i also think like so a lot of the georgian wine i've had right. was a white but it's done in the clay pots right right which but, that, that's really yeah. interesting yeah. but it, you know it's georgian so like they do all sorts of crazy right. stuff like compared to everybody else yeah so this does this particular one has definitely has like a very crisp apple kind of taste like yeah a, like a but not like apple cider exactly but just like crisp it's very crisp well it's the acidity a little yeah, bit it's but that acidity yeah, it's crispness. and it does is also uh which well i think the crispness also is um because like oak tends to give it more savory flavors mm-hmm. like buttery or like uh just the oakiness in general is is more of a savory like mm-hmm. smoothing yeah. addition whereas i think in a steel cask it's not going to take on a tremendous amount of flavor from steel yeah uh, if, if any like uh, hopefully not <laughs> yeah. i mean i guess if it was like copper you might steel have reserve like copper, yeah. <laughs> but uh but um yeah it's very crisp it does have uh the flavor that is like typical of well it seems typical from what we've experienced of a, a steel aged yeah or steel cask aged and so this is a so this wine specifically mm-hmm. so i think i've told the story on air before but a couple summers ago, I bought a wine at a sale at Kroger where they were just basically clearing out wines they couldn't move. And they were severely reduced, and mm. we bought one, and my wife was over the moon with it. Mm. I thought I wrote it down. I thought I took pictures of it. And this was this variety's sweet. So they have a dry, and they have a sweet. The sweet is the one that I thought might be the one, and my wife loves it very much, but it's not the same. Now, I okay. have what I think is the right one in the house at the moment so i have the sweet one in the house and i also have the one that i think is the right one which is Mm -hmm. a virginia one like so that was what was really cool is the but the virginia one was buttery okay so like so it must be yeah or probably new oak yeah so i'm really hoping my wife will open it uh before you move yeah so you can try it and see if it's like if it's this one because i i can get it at total wine quite frequently now that i know what it what i think it is so if it is that one it's like yeah this is not the greek one no, no, not oh, okay. not the yeah. So the Greek one I had was really good. Mm-hmm. Some Santorini one I bought. Same same thing at the Kroger, but not the same sale. Right. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, this one's a Governor's wine huh. from like Governor's Riesling or something like okay. that. Now this is ten bucks a bottle. Yeah, it's not bad at all. It's not bad at all. And that's a, like a great. It's a great hot summer night. Yeah. But although today we're outside right now, and it's mm-hmm. a very it's a very cool spring evening. Um, well, I wouldn't say cold. But Very like, humid. Yeah, it's humid, cool, kind of nice. It's nice out here, but I can imagine like, if we had like a cookout or whatever. Yeah, this is a, um, we're, kind of thing. we're serving it chilled, pretty chilled. I yeah. just took it straight out of the fridge before we got it. Now, one thing I will say, if you don't have a good corkscrew, which yeah. I do not. Now, why people might ask, and that's because we mainly open bottles of wine at Jacob's house. Yeah, and my corkscrews. Okay. Well, actually, yeah. my corkscrew was purchased by Tipitza, who yeah. is, a, is a wine guy. So. Yeah, so... Um, 
we spent five and a half minutes opening this, trying to open this bottle. We ended up ripping the cork in half and then pulling out the bottom half of the cork. Um, I've also always, I also noticed that you struggled to get the, the screw in the center of the cork a lot. I, yes, I, I don't know why it's perplexing to me. So, for those who don't know, like we have basically the standard, what they call a church key, yeah. uh, wine opener, um, and it's got the bottle opener, or so bottled beer and things like that. So what I've done instead is I bought one of the winged, I put one of the winged yeah. ones in my, my wife and I's Amazon cart. So if we ever have to do it the house again, we won't have the struggle, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> unless it turns out to be a dud, but it was 13 Well, bucks, and, and so. actually, speaking of the struggle of opening wine, uh, that brings up I want something I wanted to try this yeah. uh, episode because the format will be changing slightly for when I move. Mm-hmm. And that is this this episode we are showcasing the wine that Mason chose. And I think we're going to still stick with that where one of us will showcase a wine each episode mm-hmm. and talk about it, try it on there. But I wanted to talk about one of the wines that I had from the week, not sharing a whole lot, but just something that was interesting mm-hmm. that maybe the listeners would enjoy. Uh, and I and both Mason and I got these like free books at work or at yeah. a work event. And uh, I've been writing things down. So this is a... A varietal that I, the only reason I want to share it is because it's a varietal that's not in my mm, uh, wine folly, my wine folly book. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, granted, the wine folly book doesn't have all of them; it just has the most common ones. Mm-hmm. This varietal is uh, this is a Chilean wine that I got. It, it's called a Car- Carmenere. Carmenere, I think. Carmenere. Yeah, Carmenere. Yeah, um, which is I guess the, it gets its name from the French word for crimson. Mm-hmm. It is a very very dark red wine. Um, you would think at least this one, and I and I'm kind of interested to try other ones. You would think that it would be very similar, and the way that it describes it online is you'd think it would be very similar to uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. It does have some qualities that were similar to it. Um, it's very tannic. Uh, but I would say this is the first wine that I've had where I would truly describe the taste as pepper. Like mm. it's a very peppery flavor. Aside from that, not a lot of other flavors. It's uh, okay. it is tannic. It is a little bit um, so alcohol I, I yeah. don't I don't really recommend it highly, but I just thought I'd bring it up because it's so a varietal that I've never Lidl, heard of. Aldi's? Where'd you get it? Uh, I got it from Total Wine. Total Wine. Yeah. Okay. Um, in their other reds section, because mm. I was actually looking for another Cabernet Franc because we liked that one oh, last time so much. Uh, I almost got that one again, but then I saw this and I went, "Oh, I've never heard of this varietal." Mm-hmm. I looked it up online and it was like, "Well, this is just an uncommon varietal out of Bordeaux." Um, but this winery, this this company is called Arazuriz in Chile, mm. um, and they do single vineyard, single vineyard section wines. That's, That's wonderful. They, yeah, so That's a wonderful very idea. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, and I'm sure that this is very different year to year, so I'm, I'm interested to try it again. But I just thought I'd bring it up just to share with everybody that this is a varietal that I've never heard of. Granted, I'm not a wine genius, so I'm, it may be very common, and it's just not one of the super common It's ones. just not represented well here, possibly. Yeah, yeah. But, so, this is one of those things we have in common that is outside of our show and outside of our mm-hmm. uh, other disciplines of anarchist thought and things yeah. like that. We both love pepper. Mm-hmm. We both, like, I'm really a black pepper fanatic. Mm-hmm. I love white pepper as well, but because I don't cook. Yeah, white pepper's a little sweeter. Yeah. And it's it makes a, it makes, it, it is a good addition to a lot of stuff, but like a nice cracked, fresh cracked black pepper tuna steak or something yeah. like that is delicious. Yeah. Now for me, any pepper I can get, yeah. any black pepper I can get, except unless it's really stale. Yeah. But like we, you know, get the pre-ground Kroger yeah, black right. pepper and I, I just go to town with it. So right. something that 
Like, I know, I think you would like, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. So, because it was Cinco de Mayo yesterday, yeah. the Kroger, and I went to your big Kroger instead of the one in Oh, the big Kroger Beach. market. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there, um, well, I guess it's in Chesapeake. Yeah, in Battlefield. Yeah. So I got avocados, and mm-hmm. they were you know thirty nine cents. So the way I oh, like nice. to do the okay. avocados is you cut it in half, mm-hmm. you deep hit it, yep. and then you basically fill the pit reservoir with black pepper. Oh wow! And then sriracha on top of it, and then you mm. mix the avocado together. Oh, that would be bad. Yeah, I can the imagine that. The fatness and the sweetness of the um, the fruit. No, no, no. So the it's an avocado, so it's not. It's usually not that sweet. It, it's yeah, fat it's more, and a little it's like acidic. A, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. But the sweetness of the sugar in the sriracha. Oh right, okay. Just goes so well together, and then it's got that black pepper magic mm. behind it. Yeah. It's just it's such a great. That does sound pretty like, good. Good thing, especially like, if it's like a nice ripe avocado. Yeah, and that's and that's what's great about them is the ones I got. Like I got one that was ripe that day. Mm-hmm. Got one that was ripe today, and the other three because we got five. Yeah should be ripe like they'll unfortunately one of them will be ripe the same day as the other one but right like even with so part of part of what i've been doing and if um as you know like my hands are destroyed from the kettlebell exercises i've been doing um but part of it has also been cognizant of just the volume of food Mm-hmm. that i eat and so you know avocados yeah. have a lot of good fat in them and yeah like, very good for you they're they're really good kind of meal replacement uh-huh. when you're hungry enough that you would eat an entire meal but it's not really a scheduled meal time yeah. you eat like half an avocado sure you can do pretty well especially if you're kind of moving toward ketosis yeah. now if you're putting the sriracha on it it's got sugar in it so you, yeah. you don't really want to do that but, but you, you can always make your own sh- but sriracha you could do which, but i mean the sweetness you could yeah there's other we balsamic vinegar is really good with yeah. them yeah uh, not as much black pepper then but yeah balsamic vinegar you know right not, not a lot of sugar in that yeah, yeah so but it was just one of those great things now it does sound good speaking of wines that we've had mm-hmm. that aren't show wines right so my wife made the best pot roast she has ever made this weekend okay like amalgamated a bunch of different recipes i'm trying to get her to write it down so i can write up a review of this gnarly head wine okay so she we went to the the different kroger and it's got a larger wine selection yeah. they don't seem to have like a sommelier there like the other kroger mm-hmm. does but like i don't know if there's this guy's actually a sommelier or if he just kind of does that and they don't care mm-hmm. like he's always helpful it's just you know he's the guy at kroger who does the wine but uh, the other one, maybe they were too early. I'm not really sure. Right. But we needed a Cabernet Sauvignon for the, uh-huh. the pot roast. And so we ended up looking for, you know, $12 bottle area. And we got this one called Gnarly Head. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty good. Yeah. Now, I mean, like, we've had better ones on the show that weren't the Pina. Right. But it was one of those ones that's like, this is a good Cabernet. Like, it was yeah. just, it, it wasn't as dark red as some of the other yeah. ones. But, I mean, it was really nice. My wife uh, remembered to try to open it up a bit and was swirling it in her glass, which brought me to do it. She was describing things that she was smelling in it that, like, right. I normally taste in them because, like, okay. my sense of smell isn't that strong. Right. So, it was it was just one of those, like, this is a good wine. Yeah. Like, I mean, so it's one of those, if you see it, okay. give Not it a really, shot. Yeah, like, I yeah. I mean, it's a black bottle um, with gold on it. It was, yeah. it was pretty interesting. Well, I think, yeah, I think that since you and I have been trying a lot and, and kind of now also are, are, when we try it, we are trying to think and identify the flavors. Yes. That it makes us have a much greater appreciation for... Uh, really just the wines that we're trying in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and I've noticed that, like I noticed that with, I also this week got um, a, a Pinot Noir uh, 
which I had a very successful post on t- oh. Twitter, which, you know, you can follow us at uh, Tasting Anarchy. Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Yeah. If you want to send us emails and tell us how dumb we are about our, our wine selections or, or the notes that we leave right. on things, yeah. uh, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Right. So I had, well, I had earlier this week because I, I wouldn't say that I didn't like the, the other one that was, now I'm going to always, I'm going to have to refer to my notes every single time, the car. Carmenere. Carmenere. Yeah. yeah. But it was just not like one, like I had, and I was like, it's interesting, but it's also not, not really one that I'm going to go to necessarily, but I would, I'd like to try other vineyards just to see what it is. But I, I went ahead and put my, you know, stopper in it, which you can get uh, by following our Amazon link on the mm-hmm. website. Uh, and I'll probably have a review on those stoppers where it's nice because you can vacuum it out so you don't have to drink the wine bottle all at once. It's usually, you know, it'll last for, you know, five or six days with the cork, with the wine stopper in it uh, once you've sucked all the air out. But I opened up this Pinot Noir, which was um, also in my notes is, uh, it's called Pressed Run Pinot Noir. Uh, very inexpensive, $16 a bottle. Um, well, I wouldn't say very inexpensive, but inexpensive. Um not bad mm-hmm. it, it's a you know very typical like california style pinot noir so not really like the like dark fruit flavors like not not plum but more like a lighter raspberry flavor mm-hmm. kind of uh very medium bodied like that sort of thing but I, you know i posted I'm, i've started yeah. getting really into pinot noir so like i feel like i'm kind of sort of in that same vein or whatever pushing like, off cabs <laughs> not really pushing them off but like not just being like i only like cabs mm-hmm. now that we've tried a lot like i've tried a lot of whites that i like to, now to be honest so. i haven't heard you say a variety that you don't care for. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, there isn't a variety of wine. Well, I, I don't like sherry, but well, I don't think, yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't think but anybody. I think it's, that, isn't, isn't sherry fortified? No. It so, is. Okay. That's yeah, why, that's but, probably why like or like port. I'm not crazy about port, but it's fortified. And, and well, I think the issue with it for me is the high alcohol content. I think, I think that could be it too, for the, the nature of the way we drink. And yeah. especially when, especially with the show where we drink half a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. but I think port is one of those wines where like, if we got a good one, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the thing is they, my understanding with port is, you know, they have cheap port, but like you yeah. got to spend like $140 right. and then you drink like a tiny glass yeah, of and it you, after you dinner. have like, and you drink in the right setting. I imagine it's probably really good, but yeah. like, that's kind of like with the, our question with like the Pina, it's yeah. like, is this just the difference in right. almost hundred dollar bottle of wine? Right. Or is it the difference with this vineyard? Because they do have cheaper bottles, but they don't really have a $20. I mean, I think they had a $22 one. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they had. And that'd be a good idea to check and see if they we could get another one from the same. Yeah. From them. Because they only do cabs. Right. And see, is it like, is this specific to them? Is this just happens to be like just a magical bottle of wine altogether? Because mm-hmm. it like everything was different about it except for it was clear that it was a pina or it was clear that it was a cabernet so that's kind of that question where it's like with a lot of these it's like are we blinding ourselves and that's where like i always that's kind of why i've been for those who don't really see what the way i do it i like i usually run through a certain price level series Mm -hmm. of wine for what we're trying yeah to kind of give us a full exposure to the variety. Uh-huh. So that way we kind of go like, okay, like this is, this gives us a tasting point. So if we ever do get to the point where the show is, hopefully, you know, you guys are super into it and we're able to focus more of our financial means to it so we can try more expensive bottles right. of wine and be like, yeah, like I've got a baseline for this flavor. Cause like that's part of the thing with Rieslings and Pina, uh, Pina Grigio's, a lot of times the acidity is so high up front. Or seemingly so, it's hard to get into the flavors if you haven't had them in a mm-hmm. while. 
Right. So that, at least that's kind of my experience with them. It's like, oh, this is the acidity I love. It's like drinking sour beer. Right. Like that if you drink half of a sour beer on a first drink, like you just chug half a sour beer, like, yeah, you're getting this huge rush of shower, sour, but you're not going to get the rest of the flavors. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, the which same thing, because like amazing. the sour beers, they are really, and it's kind of got this like interesting funkiness to mm-hmm. it. And this is sort of the same thing with wine like this is now that we're drinking a little bit too like one one tasting note or whatever that i'll point out it is uh there is a yeastiness to this that i always describe as farmy and uh and it's not so much in like the gulp or whatever but there's like a little bit of the taste left in your mouth mm-hmm. and so there is like this you know like when you drink a sweet wine you get we always in my family we always call it fat spit where you get that like kind of like sticky spit. In it's your almost mouth. mucusy. Yeah, mucusy. Yeah. yeah, and then but then like as that when that goes away, then there's this kind of farminess that's very subtle. That's sort of like fresh hay, which is yeasty. Is mm-hmm. is what like I've learned it is, and I've always been like, oh man, I got for a while I was dis- describing it as like smelling like goat, mm-hmm. but it's not goat exactly. It's what goats are fed on farms, which yeah. is this fresh hay, the green hay that's kind of like a yeastiness, mm-hmm. and uh, that's sort of like. Once that fat spit goes away, which is such a, like, I wouldn't say vulgar, but like a gross thing to describe. Yeah. And but, that, that's kind of like the difference, like with your family's like level of comfort with each mm-hmm. other. And like my, I guess my family and like, you know, my family is like, we're not waspy, but we're mm-hmm. waspy. And it's kind of like that waspy where you're like, you don't talk about something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I can see it. This is how gross we were about it. Like we would get fat spit from drinking, you know, drinking something sweet or having sugar or whatever. And we go like spit it where it like drips down and go and <laughs> see how far you could kind get of like down. milk spit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is gross. But like, <laughs> and gross. like, and like thinking back on it, I'm like, why would we do that? And like, and also like my mom's in town right now. And I, I'll probably ask her this or like, why would you let us do that? And she's probably like, well, you're not hurting anybody. And like, no, and I, you're entertaining yourselves. <laughs> and that that's one of, uh, one of my regrets for this episode is it was such a pleasure to have your mom on yeah. the show, but the other circumstances that are going on yeah. at well, your I house at the her, moment. Yeah, like, well, I, I asked her if she wanted to come over and, and be on the show, and she she's so tired because she's been traveling. You know, my mom, Non-stop. my dad's, my dad's <laughs> in the military and stationed at, a, at overseas, and so she's been traveling for the last month and a half all yeah. over the United States trying to see all my sisters and stuff. And, and I think that this is her, I, I'm a very relaxing person to be around apparently. You can and, be. Uh, and so she, she told me this when I dropped her off just now at her hotel. She, she was like, you know, I, I like starting the vacation and ending vacation with you because you're the most relaxing person, <laughs> or the most relaxing of my kids. <laughs> and, uh, like you're just, you're pleasant to be around because you're not demanding. You don't really want anything, but you're also very eager to per, like, give me things like, so mm. like, Oh, mom, would you like to go out to dinner, or would you like to do this, or whatever? And, yeah. and if, and also perfectly content if I say no. Yeah, so yeah, like, that's fine. Like I'm very relaxed. And what's funny is like, and so this is kind of a this again. This is this is a different episode than our normal right. because we don't really both have an article prepared. Like well, I, I do have one we have one, later, but, 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 yeah. but I don't have one. Yeah, like yeah. I don't have a counter article, not a counter article, but mm-hmm. I don't have a you know fresh topic to really talk about. But like I remember when your mom moved away originally and like kind of that you know everybody's sad when their parents like move away or you move away from your parents or like you know i'm gonna be incredibly sad when you move away because it's just oh yeah so it'll be a bummer yeah it's just the the level of connectivity you Mm -hmm. know connectiveness like i have a brother i'm very close with him yeah but i'm not as close with him as i am with you so like you know it's kind of that level of familiarity and 
like I don't know how to say the word correctly, but like so that you're familiar mm-hmm. and there's like familial is yeah, like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of like that relationship we have where it's like right. brothers. Yeah. So but like I like it always just kind of makes me laugh like when you know your mom's saying you're not very demanding, which I agree, you're you're usually very not. But like when you when she first moved away, like I'm surprised like every time she came to kind of visit, like you didn't have her cooking the entire time yeah. just to recapture her cooking right. taste now. I also recognize the fact that like just the level of what you're willing to eat has changed sure, so yeah. drastically yeah. and opened up because like yeah. you were always willing to eat stuff before, but mm-hmm. like the flavor po- profiles sure. and everything like that, that yeah. has changed. Well, so. that's because uh, when we were at lunch today, we were talking a little bit about that and uh, we went to uh, catch 31 over there by the Neptune mm-hmm. statue and uh, for like an early mother's day. Yeah. I uh, think with, with my wife's mother, Victoria is my wife and, uh, and my mom, because, you know, Mother's Day is, what, uh, five days away or something like that? It is exactly one week away. Oh, one week. Okay, so. It's I, next I, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, all right. And, uh, but they're going to both be out of town. Victoria's mom's going back to Ukraine. And my mom's going back to where my dad's stationed, which I don't know if I'm supposed to say or not. Yeah, well, I'll just leave I, it out. Yeah, we'll leave it out. Uh, but. Uh, I think you've said it before, but it doesn't I matter. I think so, too, but, like, like thinking about it now. But anyways. Yeah, uh, it's fine. We were, t- we were talking about, so Victoria's mom is a wizard cook. Mm-hmm. Like, and and loves cooking too. Like my mom is is I think she's a great cook. She's never been a she's never thought she's a good cook. Victoria's mm-hmm. mom thinks she's a good cook, and she is. My mom's never thought she's a good cook. Um, well, and and I brought it up today. I was like, man, I I like everything you make. And she was like, wow, that's like she's like that's interesting. And she's like, I knew you did when you were a kid, but you and your dad have like so much more food and so much more flavorful food than what I cook. I was like, yeah, I mean, I would I, I like I said, no, your food's flavorful. It's just a very specific flavor that's like british british yeah it's like white people flavor well like, and it, it's it's the classic yeah, british flavors. yeah like very like very heavy food very i wouldn't say well i would say gravy intense kind well, of I, like like i think it if, very if fatty you're, if you're southern and yeah. this is is surprising from a woman who's from california and yeah, it's not like yeah. your mom is a transplant to california right, yeah. and then like has left no your mom's california yeah. like it's southern comfort food, right? It is, but yeah. like without the without like without the, the pepper, yeah, without the salt, and, stuff and, the, like that, yeah. and some of the the spices, the spices yeah. like some of the back end spices that could right. be in a lot of yeah, it. yeah. So like you know, like southerners, for example, are are really well known for fried chicken. Mm-hmm. So like my mom's version of fried chicken is. Uh, and actually, this is one of the few things that she makes that I don't really like that much is her is her version of fried chicken. Although she makes two types, and one of them I like, and one of them my dad likes, and she always cooks the one my dad likes. But the one that my dad likes is like instead of like a, a batter crust, mm-hmm. it's she uses like a breadcrumb crust, and like I've never kind of like a shake it. and bake. Kind of yeah, more like shake and bake than fried chicken. But she always call it it's like fried chicken, but then they bake it mm-hmm. instead of like deep frying it. Yeah. And like I've never liked it. <laughs> and whenever she made it, I was always like ah. Uh, is there any vegetables? Because <laughs> I'll just eat the vegetables. But uh, then she makes like this red chicken that I like, which is like 1950s Betty Crocker mm-hmm. barbecue chicken. Um, before like barbecue was like a yeah. mainstay in America. Like it was like, it's like basically like a ketchup based barbecue sauce. Very sweet. Uh, and I mean, like a lot of that type of food. Where I'll it's never like, put down a ketchup based barbecue because there's so many, like one of those things, like if you don't know American cuisine, yeah, like a lot of cooks. Mm-hmm. Like a portion of their like barbecue recipe is actually ketchup, yeah, and I yeah. and when I first heard that, like I thought it was just nonsense, right? And then it's like, no, these guys are like, you know, so if you follow like people like Anthony Bourdain, like mm-hmm. these are people that he looks up to, yeah. And they're like, no, no, no ketchup's involved, and you're like, right. oh, okay, like, yeah, this is not baloney, 
No. Well, and that's the thing is like, I, that's what I would describe my mom's cooking as is 1950s American Americana. Americana. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, it's very, almost all of the stuff that she makes is out of the Betty Crocker cookbook mm-hmm. from 1955 because that's what my grandma had and that's what she cooked, learned to cook at. Well, that's a, I would also say like your mom, your mom got married young. Yeah. And yep. so it's not like she had to go and fend for her own sensibilities Mm -hmm. for a long time now like yes when you're you know your dad being deployed a lot and things like that like there is these periods but like at that point she's already and i don't like the word indoctrinated but like she's already like your dad's kind of like a not a homebody but like that's kind of well he is kind of like he's i mean he's like me and i was actually talking to her about this when i was driving her back to the hotel too is my dad and i are very similar in that sense too is if you're doing something for me i would much rather stay at home and just hang out at the house yeah and my dad's that way too but I also take after my mom where my dad doesn't want to go out and do stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm okay going out and doing things. I just don't really want to do it if it's up to me. Well, and that's the thing is like you do want to do it's up to you, but it's yeah. so incredibly specific yeah. that it's like, okay, this is a five minute activity and yeah. you've already done it twice today on your own. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so that's kind of like the... Like, my dad is, uh, I mean, you've had my dad's stuff. Like, my dad, yeah, like, dad's a good cook. My dad is a crazy good, like, <laughs> yeah. my mom's a good cook, too. Right. But my mom. Actually, I've had your mom's cooking, yeah. too, because she cooked Thanksgiving, or uh, Easter when Nate and I came over. Yeah. And your grandma was trying to hook me up with the neighbor girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, so my mom is a good cook, but my dad is, like, so much more experimental. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. my mom is much more of a person who's like, look, I've got these nine ingredients, mm-hmm. and I know the combinations that go well with these ingredients. Right why break the mold Mm -hmm. mainly because my dad is like i'll break the mold and like i'll try some crazy thing and stuff like that so uh so just so people know like we are a dog friendly show yeah um so so my i think henry wants back out my (laughs) my dog is a my dog is a not an in is not an outside dog like he he'll go outside he'll play he'll he'll do his thing um, but we're sitting on my patio, which is off of the front doors out of my kitchen and it's screened in and he hates not being involved, but like, he'd want to be in our lap and like right. causing all these problems. <laughs> but yeah, like, so my dad is like such an adventurous cook yeah. with like the stuff that like, he's just like, well, I'm going to see what happens. And yeah. it's like, and he doesn't write anything down. Right. So like, if you like something, you just have to be like, remember it. Yeah. My dad will remember it. But the problem is he might remember the time before. Right. And remake that. Then it's not bad, but you're like, <laughs> I wanted that specific flavor again. And that's kind of something my wife does too. And she'll not write things down and she'll try to improve. And then, you know, like just classically doesn't have all the ingredients because, yeah. you know, she's got to wrangle the kid and, and all that stuff. And so she forgets an ingredient and like, I'm famous for doing it too. And right. I cook for myself, which very rarely, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's like that one ingredient where you're like, F, yeah. <laughs> like, this would have made the rest of the dish. This that this this sort of leads into one of my other plans for the new format yeah. is uh, or one of the things I could do, and especially since one of the things about uh, both you and you and me having this kind of desire to improve our generally our life in general, but like just our dedication to getting things done so that we can be a little bit more independent, mm-hmm. and also make, and one of the things that I want to do to be a little more independent is is kind of prove my dedication in the show. Mm-hmm. And same thing with you. Like I think you know. So one of the things I thought might be a good thing that will help keep me on track a little bit is uh, I do the majority cooking in our house. And Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I thought might be a good thing is at least once a month is doing uh, a a blog post of a a dish that I cooked paired with a wine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and now my wife doesn't drink wine. Um, the only thing alcoholic that she really likes is sangria and Bailey's. And my uh, wife makes some mean sangria. Yeah, she does make a good <laughs> sangria. And um, and actually, I think Victoria's had it and liked it a lot. Yeah, I think uh, once. Yeah, and uh, I get you lit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I was thinking maybe doing something along those lines. I got this uh, app on my phone. Just I think it's called just Wine or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's like it's got in it articles about wine and then mm-hmm. one of the things it does is wine pairing with food oh. and so i was thinking maybe maybe that would be a good a good addition to it and and it would also give us a little bit of content for the show when, as yeah. the, as the format changes a bit and hopefully uh content for the blog which yeah. is what i re- tasting you know, anarchy.com yeah, which right now we do have a couple of reviews up on there um we're hopefully by the time you hear this there'll be quite a few more reviews and more just general articles um, or if not episodes, at least. yeah. And, and one of the things too, like, so this is just for to give you guys some like information about about me in general is I'm not afraid to work hard. So I always preface this, but right now the the current job that I have and and that Mason works at too, like I average 52 hours a week, and it, it's a it's demanding, and that's the hours where I'm clocked in, mm-hmm. and I and a lot of time I work on the weekends and just kind of forget to clock in, or I just don't, and uh, because I'm like, oh well, I'll only be in for like 15 minutes or whatever, and then I end up being in for six hours. But uh, the one of the I, one of the ideas for me moving to a new job is a job where I can kind of turn it off when I'm not there mm-hmm. and focus on my own project. So I've got some project ideas with uh, other people. That I want to work on, but I also one of the one of the major things that I want to work on is this show. Yeah, and that and, and that's the thing is, so and I and I enjoy writing, and I think I'm a good writer. And that and that's so. the thing is, like, so one of the things that I will say is, you are a good writer to a point, mm-hmm. and your problem with writing is gram- grammar, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like your your writing is, at least in my opinion, every time I've read it, a lot of times you phrase things the way I wouldn't, right. and sometimes it's a grammar thing where like you're using mm-hmm. a specific form of grammar which is not necessarily incorrect. Right, it's just not colloquial the same way. Right. Like and especially because your wife being a non-native English speaker, sure. you have a lot of changes in your grammar yeah, yeah, style as right. of late. But like that's one of the things is like I write very casually. Mm-hmm. You can write both casually and very formally sure. immediately. And I, I struggle with formality in yeah. writing and my grammar and spelling is also atrocious. So like <laughs> my right yeah. and I, and my problem is I don't see it. Yeah. Like a lot of the times you will correct something where it's like, you don't change the content of what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And I have a hard time correcting what you're saying without changing the content. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's always my frustration with it is like, so writing blog articles and things like that is like, I can talk very well. Right. And grammar is not always important, as important in spoken yeah. word as opposed to written word. Because sure. it's when you're speaking to somebody, you can ask questions, they can reflect and kind of adjust what they're saying to make it make sense to the other person. You can hear inflection and things mm-hmm. like that. And where a lot of my writing, it's like, you just use the complete wrong word. And it's yeah. like, and I don't see it after the third read sure. review. And I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah, like, I mean, this it, happens you know, at work. Yeah, so, like I'm, one of the things I'm in charge of is blast emails. And, yeah. and I, I will, like, I'll read over what our boss wrote, or I'll read over what somebody else wrote. And like, three or four times not see there and yeah. then somebody else is like you can see this but yeah well, i mean it's, it's like, hard because if you know what it's supposed to say yeah at a certain point i don't understand why they ask you to read anything over i don't know like unless yeah. it's technical right or like kind of as a you know hey everybody else has read this just give it a once over and mm-hmm. you know if you really don't see anything that's super glaring send it out but like yeah that's kind of our our goal with this show is to explore wine is yeah. to is to learn but it's also to take you all on a journey yeah. 
in so one of the things that you know there are one of i will say i have in the libertarian movement so like i have certain idols you know like we idolize rothbard but like i don't idolize rothbard the same way other people do because i haven't read as much rothbard yeah i mean i think i think you you actually idolize rothbard a lot less than i do even yeah and that's that's the thing is like I, if there was an, like, so if there was an Ask Jeeves for Rothbard, I would use it more frequently. Right. But like my, like the two, so I have three largest libertarian idols. So you, because like basically anytime I've had a question, you found a way to answer it or kind of give me an idea where to go. Sure. Tom Woods, because Tom Woods has introduced me to what I'm thinking is going to be hopefully the second renaissance of my adult life until either it stops being something I can do or... I find something I want to do instead and Jason Stapleton. And like, so like, that's one of the things that like Jason Stapleton talks about is like improving your human capital. And like, that's one of the things where like, there's a lot of things that Jason Stapleton says and a lot of his stuff is verbose because it's, that's the nature of, that's how he thinks sells. Yeah. And Jason Stapleton is a salesman and he has done an amazing job of selling. Like he, Mm -hmm. he lives and breathes on selling. Like, yes, he does have a show, but his show, like Westwood, doesn't pay him for the show. Yeah, yeah, he, it's the listeners pay. It's it's yeah. the advertisers who pay the show, and then he does have Patreon. But the Patreon goes to oh, advertising. Yeah, know. the advertisement. It's only to advertising the show. Sure. None of it goes to him. Yeah. Now maybe some of it goes to Lindsay, who's his producer, which you didn't originally like as much. I think she's great because I she's like her okay. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think she's. Like, I, I like the old guy better when he was he like Darren. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but see, I think Lindsay's a good foil because she's new to the. Ideas. Well, she just sounds drunk all the time to me. Oh, well, I don't think so. But (laughs) she's new to the ideas. Yeah. But she has an inherent. Sure. Like, she was raised Catholic. So, kind of like. Not like Tom was, but raised Catholic. Yeah. She doesn't necessarily, as far as I can tell, she doesn't necessarily identify as Catholic at this point. She used to be a progressive, mm-hmm. but like it just has a fundamental like no, like this makes sense. Like yeah. when you like when somebody's like who's listening is presented with the ideas that they've been kind of toying with, and it's yeah. like you're trying to work that piece of meat out of your teeth, and yeah, it's yeah. like wait a minute. Like, yes, this is annoying, but, like, I get what the point is. Like, a lot of the stuff that Jason says, like, Jason doesn't always get the technical argument right. He doesn't always technically phrase it correct. But it's kind of like Austin Peterson, who's not running for president. Mm-hmm. The Austin Peterson, who's running for Senate, it's like, yeah, he's not an anarcho-capitalist. But no. he would be such an amazing addition to the U.S. Senate. It's kind of like yeah. if if I if we were both independently wealthy, oh, I would be, yeah, I like, I, I would be torn this season. Yeah, I mean, Larry, I, I mean, there's I'm, Larry I've Sharp. Given, I've given him money. I've given Larry Sharp a little bit of money. Um, but like this yeah. thing is like if you. Like, but I mean, if I was very wealthy, like I would be doing my best to fund their campaigns to the maximum yeah. legal allowance. And well, then, and that's the thing and is like giving I, money to other people to fund their campaign yeah. to the maximum. And, legal that, and that's the thing is like so for me, it kind of makes me wonder where it's like I, I have two thoughts on that. Like because yeah. I think having a if Larry Sharp won the governorship of New York, that'd be unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. Uh, although I don't. Well, go ahead and continue what you're going to say. I'll, well, I'll say what I was so, going to say. So this is kind of my question. And, like, you know, we're both anarchists. We don't believe in – like, yeah. I vote because I think it's fun. Right. To vote and write in, like, Mary Ruart and people, yeah, and people I, that I, I think – I do sometimes. I yeah. go back and forth on it. And I've, I've actually talked about this a lot on because I'm a I'm a uh, paid subscriber or whatever online. So Liberty So I'm in mm-hmm. their paid group on Facebook, which is the only thing I use Facebook for at this point. Other than family, uh, well, I, mean, I, yeah, I, go, I go look yeah. at pictures and stuff like that on my family, and and like, but anyways, that that's yeah. uh, so. Somebody did post that. They said like, well, you know, 
they're like, since I've been listening to Lines of Liberty, like I got into the whole anarchist thing and stuff. And what do you guys think about voting? And a lot of people, you know, some people are like, yeah, you're just buying into the system if you vote. And like, and then the other, and other, other people are like, well, the only way you're going to make sort of the Jason Stapleton argument. It's like, you know, this is a system we live in. You've got to, you know, you got to vote. To make well, it. yeah. And so, and I gave, I gave my argument, which I'll give here on the show. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I've done it before. And my argument it is a little bit nuanced or whatever, but it's what, what isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's so value subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so here's my argument against voting is that you could be the most well-informed voter. You was, you spent hours and hours, days and days, whatever it is, studying the issues. You uh, you know every issue inside and out. You know the candidates inside and out. And assuming that the candidate will do what they say, which is very unlikely, you find the candidate that most closely agrees with you and your points of view. Or if you're a single-issue voter, which I also think is legitimate, if you're a single-issue voter, like if you're anti-abortion especially, or pro Especially in like city elections. Yeah, exactly. So whatever your your issue is, if you, if you are a single-issue voter, and that's it anyways... You do all of your voting. You you go to the ballot box. You know if depending on where you live, you stand in line of upwards of three hours, depending on where you are. <laughs> um, you get to the ballot booth. You pull that lever for your guy, John Smith, who is going to represent you and all that sort of stuff. And as you're walking out, there's a drunk guy pissing his pants walking into the thing to pull the lever for the opposite guy, and your vote's just been canceled. So that's one way to look at it. So that argument for those those who because we we follow Tom yeah. well I follow Tom very closely, um, and you just work wise can't listen to as many shows yeah, as, I, yeah. as I as I am able to. Um, that is the um, classic argument that Bob Murphy recently presented um, for. I can't remember the school of economics, but basically mm-hmm. it's like utilitarian, sure, um, where it's kind of like the the margin voter, right. It, it you know like million people vote well one person does decide the election like at a certain well, point yeah at like, some point it does and that's true and so yeah. th- th- there's that argument there's but, the, but that's but, the thing is like yeah. that's that's their argument but like so their argument is like it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. to not bother to vote because like yeah. you could have been you know like what if you missed an interview right. to vote because you were in there for three hours and that job would have landed you a million dollars yeah now now my counter argument to that is because see, uh, with that idea is that it, you're, it's rational to be uninformed. In that mm-hmm. case, is that if you if you're like I don't really care, it's rational to be uninformed. The opposite argument, and I and I think that this is a very valid argument, and it and it and it buys into what people would say is the, is Mises' subjective value, but it's not Mises. It's it's Eugen von Bobberg, or I, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. Von Bobberg. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm not getting it either. Yeah, but he. I think he's the one who came up with the subjective theory of value um, or first postulated it or whatever. But mm-hmm. is the idea is that to me here in Norfolk or in Virginia Beach where we previously were, it, mm-hmm. it does not take very long to vote. It takes maybe 20 or 30 minutes at the most. Pretty much, yeah. And and I've also I've, I also put this forth that like it would make a really great uh, satire or whatever to have like a, a, a like an internet episode of people standing in line to vote where uh, – anyways – I'll tell you about that later. But uh, but the idea is, is in the subjective theory of value is if you value the feeling that you get from standing in line and voting over the money or whatever you lose by standing in line and voting, then mm-hmm. it is worth it because all value is subjective. So exactly. if you like it or if it's fun, as Mason said, then it's worth it to you to do it. I think the only thing I would tell people to take away from it is do not think that your vote's going to make that big of a difference. It may make some difference. And in very rare cases, it may be the deciding vote. Um, so if it's worth it to you, go for it. And that's... It's a totally subjective thing. I don't. 
I don't uh, begrudge anyone from going and voting. I don't also promote the idea. I vote mm-hmm. sometimes. If like partic- like one thing in particular, I was registered for one more election in Virginia Beach before I ha- I had to be in Norfolk. Um, and I went specifically because it made me feel good to vote against light rail yes. to cancel out one person's vote in particular who was for it because I don't like him. <laughs> and I told him on Facebook, I'm voting specifically to cancel your vote. Yeah, so public choice theory. Yeah, exactly. Bob, Bob, yeah, so that's the the one. Public thing. choice theory, yeah, yeah, yeah. Public choice theory is kind of that, like, you, you are right to not spend that much time on it. And so that's one of the things that's kind of why I think – so public so let's take our anarchist hats off yeah and let's think from a public choice perspective mm-hmm. what would be more valuable in the current climate mm-hmm. Larry Sharp as governor of New York and everything that it tells assuming that Larry doesn't get threatened to be murdered right. and Larry I th- honestly I think would be the type of guy who'd be like bring it on yeah. like he yeah, could defend himself like, like know, I think he yeah. would I think he would do a I, I really like if Larry Sharp was the governor and I'd be like, all right, look, you know, of all the people that I have to live with being governor, eh, I'm kind of willing to give it a shot. Cause like, I know that he's going to be trying, like one of the things he says is, you know, kind of classic, like, um, for like licensing, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are completely against licensing. That's not voluntary. Yeah. But he's like, would you let your friend do it? Walk your dog. Yes. No license. Right. Remove your appendix. No a license right and his point is like do i actually believe that's the right measure no i don't like i don't believe in licensing at all mm-hmm. but why take this why complicate the situation unnecessarily right. so i'm gonna complicate the situation unnecessarily yeah let's say austin peterson and larry sharp are both going to be exactly what they represent themselves as austin peterson is the republican nominee for missouri mm-hmm and it's not like the Republicans are pushing footing around with it. They're actually putting their money behind it, like doing what's, you know, what they would for any other Missouri Republican candidate for Senate mm-hmm. that wasn't just an immediate shoe in. It's like, you know, right. like John McCain, like John McCain never has to run in his state. Yeah. Like it's just John McCain. Missouri, like I'm assuming like it's going to be a battleground like they're. Their Republican guy got kicked, like yeah. passed away or quit. Right. So they're they're trying to have another Republican in. So it's that or Larry Sharp running for governor with a legitimate chance, and not like this like weird measure. What do you think would be more effective for our government or for our governance? Well, I think so. This is the problem that I think. Let me think here for a second because mm-hmm. my my biggest problem with with Larry Sharp being governor of New York, I honestly don't think he'd be able to do anything. I think it would be a good platform because it is a large state, mm-hmm. and I think so that like it's the third most populous, if yeah. not the second most populous state. Yeah, yeah, and so I think it's a large state. It would be fairly public, um, and I think that Larry Sharp's objective, and it always has been his objective, is to he does want to make change, but I think his primary objective is education, putting the ideas forward. Mm-hmm. And so, as governor, he might be able to do that pretty well in New York, particularly upstate New York, which does have a a large libertarian bent. Even um, though it's right next to Canada. <laughs> it, it's surprisingly, yeah. But I mean, like, the, the, really, the from what I understand, the big problem with New York is Buffalo and New York City. I don't know much about Buffalo, but in New York, I know um, New York City for sure. Yeah. And, and so, and, you know, there's actually, there's, uh, weirdly, secession movements of New York City. But there's also secession movements of, of upstate New York mm-hmm. to, to, of all places, move their capital to Buffalo, which does tend to be a little bit more conservative than New York City. Uh, also, New York City a lot of the funds from New York State are funneled into the city. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is a major economic hub, but it's for the first time in 30 years or something like that, the population is expected to decrease 
in New York City because most of the people are they're being taxed out. And, not um, only are they being taxed out, but they're there's just also they're not the the living space isn't there. Yeah. And so so okay. So So my my the reason I would go with Austin Peterson, okay. I think over Larry Sharp would be Larry Sharp or Austin Peterson, I mean, could would be on a national stage, mm-hmm. sort of in the uh, Rand camp or whatever, where he could be disruptive, and I think he would be much more disruptive than Rand, and just because he's kind of a dick, and like I think that'll carry over into uh, into you yeah, know, national politics is that like you know you're one, one of the, you're one of a hundred yeah being yeah being kind of a prick being the like, sen- being a yeah. senator and that's a big thing it is and and i and think it's that, for six years yeah it's for six years so even if he didn't get reelected, he could spend his time being disruptive he and, could and, monkey and being wrench the fool yeah. out of stuff especially because it's such a sharp one two seat right right now it's right very now. tight yeah yeah and so. that's the thing is if if austin just imagine if austin wins yeah and like <clears throat> five states flip republican senators and like they flip republican senators on the trump side right not like mccain yeah, yeah. Who, I mean, who might be, die soon? Which would be awesome. I, I would. I, you know, I don't wish death on anybody because I'm sure. No, his no, no. I, I'm, sad, I'm ready for. Like, I'm so. I'm not a religious person. Yeah. I'm ready for John McCain to meet whatever maker. Yeah. Exist to receive whatever his reward is. Yeah. Because I mean, he is a terrible, terrible, person. terrible human. I mean, he is. He's a mass murderer. He's my favorite person to tweet like mass murder texts to, or, or mass murder tweets to. Well, I mean, if I was uh, in tar- if I, if I had more um understanding of how twitter actually worked i would just be tweeting that at diane feinstein just because i know i knew like, her too and i <laughs> because i know if diane feinstein yeah. sees it yeah it pisses her off john right. mccain doesn't he no, can't he doesn't read care. yeah yeah like but well i mean like actually i had recently was uh schumer what like po- schumer. yeah he posted this thing and, I, and this is the thing is i say he posted i know it's not them running their twitter well i mean if it's not on trump you know it is yeah, well that's true but <laughs> like awesome. uh but like he posted this thing he's, where he was like, uh, "We need more funding to help the opium epidemic or whatever." And and I posted or and I replied to him. I said, "How about using those funds that you voted to spend on U.S. troops protecting or protecting poppy fields in Afghanistan?" Or you know the funds for the direct troop involvement. Oh, that's what I wanted. I meant to save that article. Yeah, the direct troop involvement in Yemen now. Yeah, yeah, like. We we're leaving Syria, but we got to somehow be involved in Yemen, right? Uh, Which is Obama's legacy of nearly a million people dead already from shitting themselves to death. Yeah, and this, so this is this is what I love, Obama. Yeah. So and this is uh, so so my my thought was, um, did you? So Jason Stapleton had Larry Sharp on. About, I haven't listened to that one yet, but it's saved. Oh, yeah. it's really okay. Good. Yeah. Did you listen to the one where he had Austin Peterson on? No, but I'll. I will. Cause I, I know he and Austin are friends, and I and I actually yeah. like Austin a lot better now that he's not running for. Yeah. And, and here's the thing: it's like I didn't listen to all that episode. Yeah. It's a very good episode, but the one with Larry Sharp is even better because Larry Sharp, like he legitimately. So New York is a polarity state. Yeah. Polarity. So if he can split the vote, right, he may actually win. Okay. And the like if you look at Cuomo, yeah. Cuomo does a lot of stuff that is not well, yeah, it's yeah. not based on their legislature. Yeah. So like there there is a possibility he could be way more disruptive than we think. Okay. So but that's the thing is like so Well and there's a lot of things that could happen in New York that but would that but, would be beneficial, like for like legalization of marijuana would be well, like, like let's, would be nice. Let's just think and, about this. Larry Sharp takes over in New York. What if New York City seceded because they yeah. couldn't understand the idea of a libertarian being their governor? Right. So now the left has to 
stand up and say that no, secession is not about slavery. It's not about that's true. The, the South rising again. Especially if they're seceding from a half-black governor. Yeah, a half-black, so, former military. Yeah, Latino, a half-Latino also. Yeah, I think, like, you know, like, Larry, like Larry Sharp is like the poster boy for, like, yeah. like, the only thing that would make it better is if he was... Like gay or something. A, a transsexual <laughs> right. yeah. gay person. Yeah. Or like, he would, was born a male, or born a female, yeah. became a male, and was into men. Still. Right, like you know, like you like something just, bizarre. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like you were. It's just like you can't get more. Yeah, like of fringe. But, but I mean, like, but he is very friendly. You know, yeah, born uh, single mother, mm-hmm. uh, either half black or half Latino, or or he's both. half black. I know for sure. Okay. Um, adopted white by adopted white people. By white people. Yeah, and then like lost his adoptive dad, who was yeah, who apparently died. a very great guy. Yeah. And then and then his mom remarried a black guy, I think, or his adopted yeah, yeah. mom. And then and then he joined the Marines. Well, he joined the Marines to get away from his mom because his mom fell into like drug abuse because yeah. she couldn't get over to death of his father. Right. She became a felon. Yeah. And like and has become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like so and he's then, like a, he's a really incredible guy and yeah, has had, yeah. has a great life story. Great public speaker. He's an amazing. His, his voice should be just slightly deeper and he'd be perfect. <laughs> I, and that's the thing is I think it's great that it isn't. Okay. Because he would if he was deeper he would fall into the Obama rhetoric. Okay. Of the speech. And Larry right. Sharp doesn't speak that way. He speaks no. like a New Yorker. He does. He sounds like a very and, New Yorker. And yeah. that's the great thing is he speaks like a New Yorker, but he doesn't sound like Trump who sounds like a New Yorker. Yeah. Because he's from Queens right. and New York, Trump is from Manhattan, if my understanding is correct. No, no, no. Trump's from Queens too. Oh, man. Like, uh, I think yeah. Sharp is from Queens too. Uh, yeah. But Trump is from like higher class. Well, you know, our boss actually yeah. who also grew up in Brooklyn, but delivered newspaper in Queens used to deliver to trump's house and he always was like now granted he's a big lefty but but he was also a big trump supporter originally yeah originally i know he's an interesting guy but yeah, uh right. but like so that sort of thing but yeah but trump does sound kind of like a, a pompous new yorker yeah like the, the type of new yorker that i'm not crazy about i also although i'm not crazy about new york in general but like i like larry and well and that's that's the thing is like so larry sharp has the possibility of becoming the governor yeah. of new york in stopping the outflow of New Yorkers. Right. Because what he's basically said is he's going to nullify New York law right. by not funding it. That's a good idea. And, yeah. and he's just like, what are you going to do about it? So he can veto mm-hmm. and they have to override his veto, which they'll probably do for some things. Yeah. But he'll enforce the laws by not enforcing them. Basically right. being like, no, this doesn't meet the New York Constitution. This doesn't meet the U.S. Constitution, which I don't like. I know Larry is smart enough to know that it doesn't matter if it doesn't meet the sure. U.S. Constitution. Well, I mean, Larry but, Sharp said in the past that he's an anarchist, but he's also a pragmatist. Yeah. And, and, that, he's, and he's an incrementalist. And that's what I like. Rather than a destinationalist. And, like, so. and he's so he's like he's like Jason Stapleton yeah. in that regard. And that's what I love about Larry is he's willing to put, do the time. Right. And be the guy who has the terrible legacy. Which yeah. to you and I is like the wonderful legacy. Yeah. But he so like just imagine New York, the second bastion of progressivism in this country, falls to a libertarian. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then New York shatters. Right. That's that's the second most populous state. Yeah. Or th- I, I think it's either second or third. I can't. Yeah. Remember. I think, I think like, Texas might be bigger. But well, I, I think Florida is actually. Oh, is Florida bigger? Florida is huge. Okay. And that's one of the things that people don't really follow is Florida is very large a population. Okay. But so like, let's say it's, it's in the top five, Yeah, the top five state splits Yeah, and economically it's the top, it's the second state. Yeah. It's, it's, it's economically sec- huge. Yeah. yeah. It's the second state and it splits. So having the governor or having the junior Senator of Missouri out mm-hmm. there pissing in people's Kool-Aid, which yeah. 
I agree would be wonderful. Right. Like, you know, if I had to choose, I go with like Larry Sharp. Yeah. Breaking New York. That'd be great. I, I, I think, mean, maybe in, from that perspective, I think, you, you know, you've kind of swayed me on that is like if, if there was a good possibility that he could split the state. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now that I think about it, cause I wasn't really taking that in consideration. I know that there is a, a movement from upstate New York and, and also just the city of New York. And actually, within the city of the New York, several boroughs who want to split off as well. From Manhattan and yeah. Queens, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, even well, like the Bronx, for example. I well, know that's what I'm that, saying the, Bron- yeah, the Bronx, Bronx and Long, I- uh, Long Island, St- or not Staten Long Island, Island. Uh, Staten Island. Yeah, they both want to. You know, Staten Island's Trump territory. Yeah, and uh, and also the Bronx is predominantly black, and their big problem is that they say that like there is it's something like 30% abandoned yeah. and they're like we can't build housing here because the way that the city regulations work is that there's squatters inside these buildings and we can't and they're rent controlled we can't drive them out we can't get them out and then so like and actually this is sort of a weird racist thing that like the city has gone against a lot of Jews because the Jews have been hiring like other black people to drive out homeless black people from yeah, uh, different areas so that they can raise the buildings. Yeah, so basically they can prove that the building is abandoned yeah. because they get people who are willing to do bad work. Yeah, and, and it's not even bad work; it's just not work that yeah. you or I would want to do right. to clear out the building. And and that's right. kind of that's the thing is like so I don't even think Larry Sharp would split the state. And this is one of the arguments. Yeah. That, and Larry didn't necessarily bring this up, and I don't think he was thinking that way. But he was talking about like the idea. Of if New York falls to an L, mm-hmm. why would Idaho not? Yeah, and there, you and know, there like Idaho, like Idaho falls, and then like Idaho's like, well, you know, these long range, you know, missile bases and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. we're just going to cut off funding. Like we're right. just going to cut off the water. And this was like, so I listened to a bunch of Thaddeus Russell over the weekend. Oh, and, okay, because so, I like that. Eh, eh, you know, oh, really? Okay. So like the episode, he, where he's he, not, he's not a libertarian. It's not that he's not a libertarian. Yeah. Like, listening to the episode where he talks to Michael Bolton of the Tenth Amendment Center oh, okay. is great. Yeah. Because I think Michael Bolton, like, what he does is amazing. Yeah. But, like, Thaddeus is, like, you explained it this way in the past where, like, Thaddeus is kind of, like, oh, like. He's pompous. He's an, he's he's, an academic. He's, he's yeah. an academic and he's pompous. Yeah. With Michael Bolton, it, I think it's a late enough interview in the mm-hmm. series where he's kind of, like, no, there are people who are legitimately as smart, if not mm-hmm. smarter than me, and there are people who just don't give a crap what I say. Right. Whereas, like, there's the two episodes with Michael Malice where it's like, dude, like, you are smart. Yeah. Michael Malice is as smart as you. Yeah. He just doesn't pursue education the way you had. Right. right. Because he realized much sooner than you, it's yeah. a sham. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and that's the thing that, like, people, like, one of the things I love about Michael Malice is, is like, no, like, you want to have a... A insult argument i'll have an insult argument yeah you want to have an insult argument with somebody who basically could have had two phds right. by the time they were 26 well let's have that argument like, right michael malice is a very smart guy very, and, and very it's good. like it's i mean he's a, of course he is he's a jew well <laughs> but that's the thing is yeah. like it's like it's like michael malice is the combination of like so the i'm only i'm only 30 percent smart yes yeah. so i'm only 30 <laughs> well, as far as i know yeah. i'm no percent right. Jew, so they're one of an idiot <laughs> so but like that's the thing with like tom woods yeah. and like bob murphy right like so Tom and Bob just don't take the snark level that Malice does. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. like, that's kind of, like, what suited their audience. But, like, you listen to, like, Bob Murphy and you're kind of like, if he really just stopped caring, yeah, he'd be Malice on steroids. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. like, the level of, like, the, like... So well, I think also part of Bob Murphy, I wouldn't say it's his problem, but I think that, like, it it changes his personality to not be like Malice is that he's a Christian and, he, and he's a Protestant. Well, so. yeah, and so this is the thing is, like, so... 
Michael Miles is incredibly smart. Yeah. Tom Woods is incredibly smart. Right. I think Bob Murphy is smarter than both of them. Yeah. But the problem, I think, with Bob is, like, it's not that he's subservient. Yeah. He just likes being the foil. Yeah. Like, yeah, he yeah. likes being the secondary sure. guy in a lot of stuff. And, like, if you listen to a lot of the Laura Murphy report, yeah. you can kind of see it's like, no, Bob is perfectly capable of leading mm-hmm. a podcast. Oh, yeah. Leading a po- And, like, Laura Murphy is incredible. Or Laura, um, yeah. Ra- Car- Carlos, Carlos Laura, Laura yeah. is incredibly smart, too. But oh, he's, yeah. not, oh. he's not book smart. He's... No. World smart. Yeah, world smart, and now yeah. he could could have been book smart, and he still could get a PhD sure. like easily. Yeah. But like that's where you like you see Bob Murphy, and it's just like no, like he is incredibly intelligent, and it's kind of like that Lou Rockwell level of intelligence. Yeah. Where it's like okay, so if I wanted to go around insulting people on Twitter, like I could make pedantic arguments, sure. I could make subversive arguments, I could make every range of mm-hmm. arguments that you want. I'm just not going to bother my waste my time. And Bob yeah. Murphy is kind of like no, I'm just. I'm busy doing other things like yeah. I'm helping people escape the financial system by yeah. like doing, you know, With uh, infinite banking, infinite banking yeah. which you can find like, out about that on, on the Laura Murphy report or uh, the Laura Murphy report. Yeah. yeah. Very, uh, really good podcast. Um, it's a, it's it, very it is, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's ponderous. It's uh, so like, uh, it's not boring, but it's long and it's, it's, uh, it's very, very technical. Yeah. It's very technical and not, and it, yeah. it's it's technical and and this is one of the things that always kind of drives me nuts about the Laura Murphy report is it's awesome, yeah, it's good information, but like they're always like, well, then go seek your own financial provider. I'm like, well, I don't yeah, know, yeah. Bob, I want you, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you and there clearly are, yeah, know yeah, what there, you're doing. There are, there are licensed, um, yeah, well, infinite banking guys or whatever that they, yeah. if you go to their website, they'll t- talk to you about it, and you know. That's one of the things that's on Victoria's and my list for as we kind of move forward, mm-hmm. particularly now that she's almost done with school. Congratulations to my beautiful wife, Victoria, yeah. who graduated yesterday. Um, although so she's my still brother. has two class. Oh, yeah. was he there? Different schools. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Which, which school did he graduate? 2 p.m. Um, oh, he did. Yeah, engineering. Oh, bummer. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like so she, you know, Victoria graduated with um, double major in economics and business and business analytics, and uh, which you had you had double major too, didn't you? Uh, yeah, economics and accounting. Accounting, yeah, yeah. Um, Thing about going back to ODU for business analytics. Analytics is cool, but you know, what, according to Victoria, she says they don't teach you enough like legitimate analytics. Yeah. So. Well, that's you the thing. Is like, on your own. And that's the thing is like I just want I need the structure of a class. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there are a couple of people in there that, like, I know one of the guys that your wife hasn't taken many classes with, but she's taken one over the summer, oh. where I'd basically go and be like, what do oh, I need to learn? Oh, is he the Excel guy? Kelly Al, yeah. Oh, okay, she does like him a lot. Yeah, he's, says he's very good. Yeah, um, he's he's a wizard. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, but, like, so, I lost my train of thought in that, but um, as we move forward or whatever, well, yeah, this, is the... as her and I move forward, one of the things that we would like to do is, is, is engage in this infinite banking. So... I, or at least look into it more. I, I agree so. and I don't agree. So I've looked into infinite baking a lot, mm-hmm. but I also, so one of the guys that Zero Hedge and Lou Rockwell will post articles from is mm-hmm. Simon Black. Okay. And Simon Black is from the Sovereign Man. And Simon, Simon Black is a guy who's, if he's not a multimillionaire, he does incredibly well for not being so, but I'm pretty right. sure he is. Okay. Um, but he has like the largest organic blueberry farm in the world. Mm-hmm. in chile oh okay. like he's an american yeah. who moved to chile right and opened like does all this stuff he's so like peter shit like um there's a podcast from the sovereign man so mm-hmm. there's about 100 episodes but like there's a podcast where like there's another crew so there's contra cruise but there's another cruise that is not their cruise but it's like 
our economic sphere right. and Schiff is involved. Oh, and I, he yeah, and yeah. Peter Schiff are good friends. Okay. And he's got a completely alternative view on how to do your finances. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and this is one of those ones where like, I'd really like to know what his thought of the infinite making concept is because you and I both agree with a lot what Peter Schiff mm-hmm. says. Oh yeah, yeah. And Peter Schiff isn't an infinite banking guy. And no, Peter Schiff is no. the type of guy that if he... If, but, if, although Peter Schiff is, although I, 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 I like him a lot and I agree with him a lot, he is very, very conservative when it comes to finances. He is, but like, yeah. that's the thing with infinite banking. It's incredibly conservative it is, too. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't recommend infinite banking. No, no, yeah. But I don't know, and this is one of those ones where like I'd love to have him in a room and have him explain why he doesn't consider it. And I think part of the reason he doesn't consider it is there is no foreign component. Oh, that makes sense. And and that's kind of my problem with Bob Murphy's reliance upon infinite banking uh-huh. is it's kind of like a Protestant standpoint where like it relies upon the idea that the United States is always going to exist. Right. Whereas like Simon Black is like, if you can get a 45% return in the United States, put 30% of your income sure. in it or put right. 30% of your funds in it. Yeah. But also have these six other things that sure aren't related well, I mean, that, that makes sense because like you know even like you know whenever i talk to people who grew up during the cold war which you, you and i i mean just you at I the end of it the very end of it but like uh or like actually talking to victoria's mom a little bit about this is that like even from her perspective like because she was in the soviet military at the time they didn't think it was going to happen yeah. like, they were like no this is going to be here forever and yeah. and my like talking to my dad and my mom and i'm sure like the cia knew and like higher ups or whatever but maybe yeah, not i don't know but plenty like, of questions yeah but like the, like from my parents generation is your parents generation you know your parents are a little bit older than mine but mm-hmm. not much your parents are about the same age as victoria's mom and uh and like from their perspective, even from the other side of the Iron Curtain, was that no, this is going to be there forever. And then it was really like a just one gone. year just gone. But that's the thing is like so from that standpoint, there's no concept that these com- businesses would stop existing. Yeah. But that's kind of my thing is like I'm also super interested in the infinite banking concept because I like the so the, there's a another oh, infinite yeah. banking concept podcast that I listened to yeah. where they talked about basically replacing. Like within an X number of time frame, legitimately turning all your debts mm-hmm. around where like your pay is the same outflow of cash, yeah. but it's all infinite making. So like okay. if you're, if you're, if your debt load has you paying $2,000 a month, right. it's $2,000 a month into the infinite banking concept and no debt yeah. to you, like no external mm-hmm. debt. And so to me, like that concept makes a lot of sense. But like, if you follow people like Simon Black and like, so the other thing that I'm involved with, which I can't yeah. really speak to on the show, Simon Black and these guys have the same lawyer. Right. Like, and this guy is, he doesn't have a website. Uh-huh. Like he's listed on several bar associations. Right. And like, there are some places where like he was a partner at some point, but like he's a tax attorney where it's like you're taught, like they were talking about stuff that like this one podcast, like not podcast, but lecture series that he was talking about that I was in, listening to before the recent SAC changes, but like it's still relevant for a lot of it where they were talking about, you know, like, you know me, mm-hmm. I've explored the sure. really obscure financial investments and they were talking about stuff where it's like, no, 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 having holdings and things like that in like places that I knew were countries, but yeah. I had forgotten were countries right. where like, like not even their president can order the breaking of a trust's right holdies you know things like where it's just like no like there's not enough people in the country to make this worthwhile like right. you couldn't like the u.s you can't telecommute to there to like bring a, a suit against a human 
Like, you have to go there. And, like, so they were talking about these things. And I'm like, what makes more sense? Like, the infinite banking concept. But, like, can you do infinite banking with, like, a Chilean insurance sure. company and a Italian insurance company and a Russian and, and an, right. you know, an Iranian one? Like, and get all these set up. Yeah. So we're, like, because, so you know, down, if the yeah. U.S. goes down or splits up. Right. You're not sitting there going like, oh, yeah, I locked all my money up in this. Yeah. Now, is, like, you know, my dream come true if you guys yeah. split up. Well, and that's the thing is like, it's my, well, I don't know. Like on the, on the one hand, like I don't wish suffering on other people, but at the same time, like I, you know, you know, I've talked about this a bunch of times. I did. I think the United States is way too big and it, well, it just really should break up. Well, and that's kind of the thing is like where like, I think with the, gra- like, and this is one of the things that I think people don't like. So Thaddeus Russell was talking about this, where like the left doesn't have a long memory, mm-hmm. like they don't remember they're supposed to be pissed off about this. I think that's true, yeah. but I think that's also where we have the concept of it just doesn't matter anymore. Right. And I think that's what's going to happen with I don't. And this is one of those things where it's like people are talking about the coming financial crisis, and it's going to be like the worst one ever, and everything like yeah. that. And like I think evidence shows that I may be incorrect, right? But I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think it's going to be because I think there's so much loose, dumb money, right? that it will coalesce itself into a protective barrier but it's the one after that it's the one right. it's the one that's 10 years out from now it's sure. the one that follows that's going to be insane i think this one's going to be propped up like it's the worst thing ever but it's just like the last financial crisis right when like, like I mean, the last financial crisis was like at least in the books awful yeah it was and, awful but honestly like you and I are doing pretty well. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like the metric, the metrics for it were, and I and actually all the way through it, you and I were doing pretty well. Like, well, I mean, I you, was were, in you were school. Yeah, you were in yeah. school, and then, so I was like, living with my parents. So yeah. I didn't really have anything to worry yeah. about. But I, and I don't know what your parents' situation was, but like my parents didn't really have a huge problem. Well, my dad worked for a government contractor. My mom was a waitress for yeah. people who were generally government contractors. Right. And my dad worked as a government employee. Yeah, and my mom is. A housewife. Always been a housewife. So yeah, but that's that's and the then like my situation, like I worked for. A company that actually apparently did lose money as far as like the overnight account type stuff, but like overall, like when financial crisis happened, a lot of people started outsourcing, outsourcing what they did. Yeah, yeah. What they do so it was what good we for do. the company. So, yeah, but and so that's kind of the thing is like so the, I think I think one of the things that people one I think people see not false positives, yeah, but false confidence, right. So Peter Schiff was like, oh, this was this recession was massive. It was big. Look at all these things it did. And it's like, yes, that's that's 100 percent true. Yeah. But look at the, the, the 21 recession. Yeah. Like the depression never was as bad year to year as the 21 recession. It just lasted, lasted for, time, yeah. for so long. And so I think that's kind of one of those things where it's like people like they have this measure and they're and I, I don't think they're wrong and I don't think yeah. they're wrong to think what they think. Right. I just don't necessarily agree. And there's a couple well, it, it's like shifts sort of, shifts logic right yeah. now is like right now is like they're just not gonna let it happen. Right. Like Well then there's but there's also then the the Stapleton argument, which is like sort of along the same lines, they're not gonna let it happen. Don't let it happen to you. And, and that's and that's the difference. And I think that's kind of what. And that's correct. Like I, I think you and I will never be in. A, I mean, I'm sure we'll fall on hard times at some point, but I don't think you or I have the personality where we let it break us. Well, and that's the thing is like I don't ever intend to be in the situation I am now. Right. Again. Yeah. And so right now, and that's part of the reason we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I was listening to Stapleton, and I was just like, yeah. "Well, why aren't we doing this? Sure. What? A, yeah. What? A, and you know, that's one of the ones like like I apologize to you about this like i like the idea of the dream show 
Sure. I just can't sustain that. Like yeah. it, it doesn't. You're not interested lo- enough in dreams, like I. Well, I don't dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and when I do dream, it's so it's things I don't want to talk about. Where it's right. just like I, I'm not comfortable sure. with what happened, and I don't remember enough what happened, and sure. I don't care to remember what happened. It's yeah. not fun. Like I'm not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm you not talking. You don't, about you don't have like. 13 years worth of dream journals or whatever. Well, and this thing is like, I'm not talking to my grandparents. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm yeah. like, I'm a different person and I'm hitting people I know that are zombies in the head trying to kill them. Yeah. And they're not, they're not actually people I know, but like it's the dream familiarity. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like, yeah. they're not dying and it's like, and I'm running for monsters the entire time yeah. and I'm not scared, but like, it's yeah, just yeah. at a certain point, I'm like, this is tiresome. Like right. this is, this isn't real. I know this isn't real in the dream. Yeah. But, like, it's not that, like, I'm dreaming. It's just, like, this is unreal. Yeah. But I also, I think that, like, maybe it's also, for me, because I, like, I believe in, like, the power of dreaming or whatever yeah. it is, is that it is a much more informational experience to me than it yeah. is. Like, actually, this is sort of like yours and my drug experiences where, like, whenever I have, like, a profound drug experience, I'm like, oh, the, the, the information that the aliens told me or whatever. Like, I, never aliens, but, like, the... It, what it is was a, released to me yeah what like the information that i received or whatever from this profound even like some very like extreme marijuana experiences from like heavy edibles that make nate made or whatever like where like i close my eyes and like i see things like this is informational to me like this is intense and and for you more or like with dmt where it's like all of this thing all these things happen for you it's like the walls were breathing yeah and like that's the extent of it for you where it's like for me it's like well the walls were breathing but like it was it was in morris code and so i had to look up the morris code that everybody was telling me was live or like you know like that kind of thing And, and i'm just like how do i get more right right how do i go further (laughs) with this and and that's and that's the thing is like i've always tried to have the breakthrough experience and i never have right like and that's one of the things it's like i i enjoy and have enjoyed a range of them and i don't do them anymore because i have a kid and i'm just like i need to be in this world and yeah i need to be sober enough to react in in a logical way And, and that's the thing is like people you know it's like classic parents conundrum like do you mm-hmm. let your kid go off like on a bicycle sure. knowing that like because they're on a bicycle they're just as you know their fractional percentage of possibility of you know yeah. falling over and breaking their head open and being the kid who died just falling over right goes up like a million fold sure, like yeah. do you even let them learn to walk because yeah. learning to walk is you know like yeah, yeah. and then you look up crawling statistics and then you look up you know you you dig this giant hole and it's like yeah. kind of i asked my dad about it like way before i had a kid and he was like, you know, at a certain point, you know, you got up, got on your bicycle, went to your friend's house yeah. in the neighborhood. We knew where you were. You had yeah. the light on your bicycle. Like, you know, you had all that. Still didn't know if we'd ever see you again. But, like, yeah. it just yeah. could happen. And well, it's just at a certain point you you check that box like, yeah, I can let it. Yeah. But that's for me. I was always like, it's never enough. Right. I think like I got weed high to the limit on what I was willing to even bother trying to do right. several times. But every other drug is like I just never had enough. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I could never consume enough fast enough right. to get where I was trying to go because I was always trying to have that experience where it's like, and then the aliens came down yeah, and talked right. to me for two and a half hours about quantum physics. Yeah. Well, so I, I didn't had, know what I they never, were talking I never about. Had anything like but like, that. but that's but what like, I mean. Like that, yeah, the, the, the profoundness, the profoundness where it's like you know, like well, and like I'll say this and then one more thing about like kids or whatever before before we wrap up and kind well of, we'll talk a little bit about your article and then oh we'll, yeah that's then right. we'll, yeah, we'll finish that. but yeah. one, one thing about like the experience or whatever is that like i never have like a, a super profound 
experience as far as like what happens is just what happens but it's like the like like for example my like my first dmt experience was the the ego death was what was profound about it yeah. it was that like the parts of me that like argue or whatever or the like the the dual nature or whatever the what do they call that the uh you know the, like the whatever the dualism yeah. the, of, of reality or whatever was like fell behind me and that was not and then like to use an alcohol term distilled like myself was distilled into a pure self and then that's yeah. what and that was what was profound it was about pure that mind as it was opposed like to mind and not body. even not even pure mind it was like pure experience well th- so, but that's what i'm saying yeah. is like that's what that's what mind is right yeah, like, un- yeah. unfiltered, unfiltered through the yeah. lens of yeah. body right so it was it was l- no more of the like well, this is the logical conclusion of this. It was just like, this is what's going on. And like, doesn't matter if you die. doesn't matter if you live. This is happening. And then like, it's like, which to me sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it was great. And, but uh, then going kind of back to the kids thing is that like, I, I think about that a lot too, because like, Victoria and I only plan on having, you know, two or three kids at the most. And, you know, I'm one of five. My mom's one of seven. My grandpa is one of 14 and like, so like the idea though, like when I, when I do like, I, one of the things that I'm into that I I think I probably mentioned on the show before is uh, genealogy stuff is like, I go back and look at these genealogies. My my fifth paternal grandfather, Solomon Lindsay had an ungodly amount of kids and, but like a very large percentage of them die. And it's like, well, Susie Lindsay died of the fever. <laughs> your your nemesis. Yeah, records. the fever, right? Because like so many of the kids in the family just died of fever, and the, and they'll be like thirteen years old. Yeah. Well, you know, Myrtle Lindsay got fever and died, and and like that's the article in the newspaper is that like the, the obituary is like this was a bright kid. We all enjoyed seeing him at church on Sundays, and uh, they got the fever last Friday and just didn't recover. But it, like when you think about that, it's like fucking cholera it could have been that who knows or like solomon Lindsay himself like in his late 60s died of mouth cancer and like a long drawn out horrific death yeah. and like didn't call for a second wife called for his best friend it's like i'm dying i need my best friend to get to kansas city to sit with me and like but like that sort of thing where it's like in this day and age like and like one of you know i have a lot of fears or whatever but like one of the things is like i really want to live for a long time like i enjoy life i and like so like a lot of the longevity things i do a lot of stuff that i think is going to make me live longer i don't know if it will or not but like i i, I like being alive it's great mm-hmm. and you know granted i'm also a christian so like i'm not worried about being dead like that's not a, a fear for me but what is a fear for me is i guess missing out on yeah. like being alive because it's great and uh and for these people though like or like having a child and the child dying at six months or whatever and it's like they missed out on so much i'm not worried about their eternal soul because i I think i know what's going to happen or at least i believe i know what's going to happen but like this whole idea of like they've missed out on like something really awesome like being alive is great like i've had a lot of struggles but one of the things that like i think is helpful to me in in general is like the, the things that like make me sad or whatever I can always remind myself that, you know, who doesn't feel like this people who are not alive. And like, so like there is a, is a great thing about being alive is even when things suck, like well, there's part there, of it. There's a very poignant episode of South park yeah. where butters like becomes a goth kid mm-hmm. and like, or like is talking with the goth kids and somebody breaks up with him. And like butters is like, it's the pain and the hurt and all that that makes us human. 
Yeah. Like, like, no, like I got to experience this. This made me a better person. And like, it's classic, like South Park where like, you know, some people are smarter than they are like episode to episode, (laughs) but like it has that very like classic. Oh, hamburgers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like classic thing where like it shows you that like, no, like this is like part of the human condition is experiencing these things. And that's kind of like the difference where like, I don't have a lot of fears. Yeah. Like I've gone from not great situations to okay situations to good situations to just like, I never like my dad wasn't in the military, so I didn't have to worry about a deployment. Sure. Like, like my parents had rough times, Mm -hmm. but like they never had times where I like, I thought like they were going to get divorced until like I was so significantly older. I was like, what? Like if they were going to get divorced, they're two logical people. Like they would just do it. Right. Like they, like, you know, they, my dad was like, this is what's going on in our life. Like briefly to me. And he was like, you know, we're not like, he never told me like, Oh, we're going to get like, we're close to getting divorced or like, we're not going to get divorced. We've had that conversation. It was just like, I kind of knew like from my dad, he's like, you know, I know what's going on. And like, seems like suck. Like, it seems like he was trying to tell me something where it's like, I wasn't asking him a question. He was just telling me it to be kind of like, yeah, I know you've noticed without me ever asking anything. But like, so I've never had these like incredible struggles mm-hmm. and like there are times where I could have sure. and I probably should have, but yeah. like didn't because it was just like, you know, it's like when I, when I first met you, like had just spent a bunch of money trying to get a degree I was never going to get yeah. and like didn't put the work into it. And right. like, I will admit that first, I didn't put the work into it. Second, I don't think I was smart enough to get that degree. Mm. Now I could get the degree, but like, it'd be like, I take one class and it would take me 30 years, but like, sure. then I'd end up with the degree. But like, that's the thing is like, I never had that struggle. Yeah. And I don't know if I benefit from it or not, but like, that's also kind of why like I pursue, like when I did drugs, like I pursued them to another level or one, like I drank heavily, like I drank, like I was trying to experience something that was different. Cause like right. my general state of being is everything's okay. Yeah. Like, like I'm that, super, that, that like, meme with the dog in the fire when he's just like, this is fine. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I'm the guy who's put the fire out and just yeah. been like, or like the fire, like, you know, it's the guy who guy who walks in and somebody's lit three matches and is trying to burn a scarf, like, sure. you know, trying to burn the house down and you just pour a glass of water on it and go like, get out. Right. Like, and then you just sit down and eat dinner. Like, yeah. like I don't need to chase him down the street and beat him up for trying to burn sure. my house down. I fix the lock 10 minutes after he was gone and yeah. I'm hungry now. Like, right. I like nothing f- impacts me on an extreme level like right. yeah i and part of that is because i'm happily married i've got a kid i love you know like i don't have yeah. these like oh am i gonna like am i gonna find the right one like i worried about that for a while but uh-huh. like then i found the right one well, and yeah, I, I, I remember when yeah. when you and i first met we had like a lot of conversations about that where you were you were concerned about it but it was also you were like i'm also perfectly happy with the way things are yeah. So, and then drank and smoked a lot. Right, and <laughs> like, what yeah. we both did. I mean, at the time, you and I, like, yeah. looking back on that, like, <laughs> well, what was so funny either. is that it was only like, that was only nine years ago. Yeah. Less than nine years ago. That was like seven years ago. And, yeah. The height of it. And we were drinking a lot. Yeah. And smoking and drinking and smoking and whatever other drugs we could get our hands on. Yeah. And like, not healthy. <laughs> no. No. It was so funny is, is like thinking back on that, I do think I was very healthy. You, like, you were he- like, and that's the thing is like, you, you always had that classic like of intense, like six, you could be three months and be in the best shape that yeah. you'd been in in five years. Right, right. And I was always the guy who was like, yeah, I'm in the best shape I've been in five years. I lost 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, right. and you're like, right. I still got 45 more before right. it looks like I've, you know, it's like. Well, I, mean, I think when you first met me, I, I had just dropped 70 pounds. And I think if, I think it was or, a, or maybe year, a year, year yeah. about out. But like, that's kind of the thing. Because I remember our first conversation was you were like, all drugs should be legal. And I was like, I'm okay with steroids being legal, but yeah. nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the classic, like like yeah. our conundrum where like i'm like all oh, drugs should be legal and you're like eh, i don't think so yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like here's 45 arguments on why they should be and i'm like i don't know if they all should be anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, and, yeah. And, but like from that classic like i like and this is one of those ones where it's like i like i don't know why heroin should be legal and then you know you have that logical thought like i'm not gonna do heroin yeah no one needs to do heroin right. in your what you think is a logical thought. Like, no one needs to do heroin, so heroin shouldn't be legal. And then you think about it, it's like, who am I to judge? Right. And, like, and that's kind of the, I think, like, that's where. But isn't heroin, like, a Schedule Two drug, so it's, it does have medicinal purposes or medicinal uses? <laughs> Technically, yeah. yeah. No, I think, no, I think heroin. I know cocaine's Schedule Two. Yeah, cocaine so, is, I don't think. Because they can use it as a local anesthetic and some yeah, other Yeah, I don't think things. heroin is. Okay. Like, because I think morphine is All right, well. Acceptable. Let's do let's do the last article, mentioned, yeah. And because enough reminiscence, reminiscing since we're almost at an hour and thirty. But uh, so the article that I had this was this is kind of a play on some of the articles you've shared in the past, and I saw it and I was like, oh, perfect article for for uh, sharing with Mason. And I think you and I briefly talked about it at work. But uh, so Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, bastion of. Uh, liberalism and <laughs> stupidity you know, yeah, upon stupidity. stupidity but great city like i really love i love seattle like mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorite cities even though it's like a it's just the environment city. yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a really cool place the environment's great actually that's not true i don't love seattle i love the uh sound islands Puget Sound, yeah, the Puget sound area a lot and uh seattle itself i'm not crazy about just because the, the massive homeless population which really if the government was not involved would not be like that but that's, it might that's be, not but part. just wouldn't be there yeah it wouldn't be there but so that's not really the article though the article is that so seattle is trying to because they are very leftist they they're trying to beat the uh the whole like uh pollution issue mm-hmm. you know so one of the things that they that they've been doing lately is they've been trying to uh and as a guy who who bicycles quite quite a lot although i haven't been doing it very much lately but somebody who likes to bicycle a lot and has like a really nice recumbent bike that i spent godly amounts of money on uh, yes. <laughs> although I did go on a nice 400 mile bike ride yeah. with it, and uh, Texas, a lot of flat land, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm planning on, on working on that, and hopefully the new company that I'm with will, uh, other people will join me on that because they are a very fitness oriented company. But, um, anyways, they're, they're putting in a lot of bike paths to, and trying to connect existing bike paths to make it easier for people to commute via bike. Mm-hmm. And in a place that rains, it rains all the time. Yeah. So well, it doesn't snow very often, but it does rain a lot. Um, and, uh, and actually that's one of the things like my bike, I, I can't ride it very well in the rain cause it's, cause it's got, uh, hybrid tires. Yeah. So like they slip very easily. It, well, in the, when it's just wet concrete, it's fine. But when it's wet concrete with like leaves on it, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Like I've, yeah. I've rolled my bike several times that, uh, and also it's a very high center of gravity cause it's recumbent and like yeah. I'm laying down on 24 inch wheels. So it's, it's high off the ground, but, uh, anyways, that's again, irrelevant. So Seattle to, to revamp all of these bicycle trails, they allocated uh, about $830,000 per mile. A lot of money. Yes. But that's not the story. The story is that they started working on it and they've like re-examined the budget and done audits and that sort of stuff. And where they're at now is $13 million per mile. So th- for those of you who didn't do the math, 
Yeah. That's $12.2 million over budget right. per mile. Per mile. Compared to the wall, that's going to cost a billion dollars per right. mile. Yeah, which is insane. Like, like So when when people are like, oh, well, the government should do it for whatever reason, is, is just keep in mind these types of situations where I don't know what it is about, about these governments. Like California is the same way where there are several billion dollars over budget for the high-speed rail. Yeah, but it's not a billion dollars. It's not that much per mile. No, it's like, not that much per mile. You're right. Um, but but like, that's, it, that's but it's, amazing it's the same sort of thing. It's like, yeah. how on earth are you spending this much per mile and i I was talking to my mom about it earlier today and it's like so my dad and i've done a lot of construction projects together uh, to like clean up the house and that sort of stuff and we've and one of the things that we've done is poured concrete to make a sidewalk i could do a one mile long bike path for much less than eight hundred thousand dollars just with my dad and me well you got to keep in mind it's got to be gradient so like there are there's the engineering aspect of building a like so this, this is one of the things that I'll give the government yeah. from times. They do a lot of times in, in a lot of these projects do a very good assessment of what is necessary to have a long lasting item. Okay. So like, you know, they, they <laughs> like, have, like that walk, walk across bridge in Florida that collapsed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like they'll they'll but that's the thing is like that's they'll do so they yeah. spent the money on determining what would make that a good bridge. Right. They did not build a good right, bridge. Right. So that's the difference. They will spend a lot of money determining sure. what what makes these paths good. It's like balancing all the light. You know, so like one of the things that we've always complained about is all, none of the light cycles are synced. Yeah. Well, you know what apparently destroys that? The What's... power going out. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, like, somebody, like, somebody we follow mentioned that. It was just like, well, you know, these, like, um, no, Eric P- Eric Peters of oh, Eric okay. EP Autos was just basically like, they can't even sync the traffic lights. And by, by the way, like, when they say they do, they quickly go out of sync. Okay. And that's one of the things that people don't realize. And that's one of the things that, like, we have to revamp our thoughts on that mm-hmm. is like, because apparently that's kind of IBM strategy is what I understand from Eric's article. He doesn't talk about it, but it's just yeah. inferred is... They get you to sync it, so you have to keep coming back to them to resync it because you can't maintain the power right. in the entire city because you know somebody hits a traffic pole or something like yeah, that, yeah. or a light just, just gets up. broken. Right, like it's immediately out of sync and you're screwed. This is the thing is about that, and this wouldn't be an argument or anything for Eric Peters, but like my computer when it loses battery and I turn it back on, even when it's not connected to the internet, it still knows what time it is. Yeah, put a battery in the light. Well, you don't even have to put a battery in the light. Yeah, because like the infrastructure should be such that right. it's just time. Right. It's just a mathematical time. Like, and right. that's the thing is like, I know he's right. Cause he, yeah, yeah. He, he's the type of guy who would have done the research, but like, I don't know why he's right. Yeah. And so, but like, so to dovetail on that, like, so like they do, like they over-engineer a lot of times the, the government, mm-hmm. especially when they try to get the military involved, the military over-engineers the situation. They're like, sure. we're going to build a bridge that literally, you know, we can drive Abrams across. Right. And everyone's like, well, you're, you're just going to walk people across. And they're like, but we may need to drive Abrams across it. Right. So they build the bridge that people can walk across. Yeah. And then they tell the gov- they tell the Abrams drivers to drive across the bridge and break it yeah, purposely yeah, right. so they can rebuild the bridge. Yeah. But so to dovetail on this insane bike thing. So, you know, bike share is the dumbest is the dumbest waste of money possible because no one returns the bikes to where they're supposed sure. to go. Like there's no way to, it's a bicycle. Like it doesn't get tracked. Well, uh, well, go ahead. Well, because I've been doing a bunch of research on that because it's one of the most fascinating things when well, I went to Dallas. Did you uh, do any research on the Chinese programs? No. So literally in every big Chinese city, there are millions of bike shares. Sure. Where it's just like next to a car park. It's just a, like, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like bicycles. Right. But it's 1.2 million bicycles just oh, wow. sitting there useless because like these bike share companies 
that the Chinese have tried to do. They basically prop up. The government funds all these money into it. They buy all these bikes, and then no one uses them. Okay. They don't get returned. Like, nothing happens correctly. And then they're just wasteland. Right. Because it's basically, you know, and that's the thing about China is, like, one, in China, when something is extremely popular, mm-hmm. that's when the government gets involved. Right. Or it's something the government's always been involved in. Sure. But, like, in a new market, the government doesn't do anything in China about it. Yeah. Until it hits a critical mask, and then they take over. So that's what's killed a lot of these bike share programs is, like, the ones in Dallas, they're competing. They are. And they're competing... At, like, and what's funny is it's probably not going to be competing for very much longer because people are mad that they're leaving them everywhere. Yeah. So the way that they work there, I don't know if that, it, they just started bring, bring them here to Norfolk. Um, stupid thing. Uh, but the way that it works in Dallas is that they have an ungodly amount of these bikes everywhere, yeah. and people leave them all over the place. Trying to triple that. Um, but they're they're all GPS, so like, and they have these guys who drive around everywhere, pick them up, service them, and return them to Iraq every night. Yeah. Um, and so. And actually, Victoria and I were there, and there were a few where, like, they were left there for a couple of days or whatever, but then, like, we would see the guys going around with, like, the big lime bike or whatever on the side, or lemon bike or whatever it is, and, like, pick the bike up, bring it to the back, check the tires, check all that sort of stuff, put it, and then drive it to the thing, lock it, or put it in the rack. Yeah. And the big complaint in Dallas is that um, they're like, well, it's ruining the the view of the city. So, like, there's, like, these bikes are, like, left next to the lake or yeah. left next to the river or whatever. It's true. Like, I agree. Like, it does look ugly. But, like, at the same time, uh, the city of Dallas, and I, I don't really care one way or the other if the city does well or not, has seen an increase in um, use of mass transit of 20% since they introduced these bikes because it solves the, quote-unquote, last mile problem. Yeah. And uh, and the way that... Now, granted, it's a private company, so they can fudge the numbers if they want, but also the government fudges numbers, too. So the, the, the line bike and all those guys or whatever, uh, what they're seeing is that the majority of the rides last five to 10 minutes and they're usually from or to a mass transit station. So either a bus station or the train station or the light rail station, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things too, is that like Dallas, uh, most of the large modern cities or whatever, most of them go for heavy light or they, there's, so there's light rail, there's different stages of light rail. So mm-hmm. there's like light rail, heavy light rail, and like, then like trams, trams. So like, uh, Dallas, when it was proposed, the proposal was for heavy light rail, uh, which is like the much longer trains. And I guess the city did the study or whatever. And they were like, yeah, well, nobody will use this. We'll put in the light, light rail, which has made them not profitable, but o- they only lose like 40 cents per ride. Whereas like the Norfolk one loses like three seventy five per ride. Yeah. And, uh. So it doesn't lose nearly as much. And since they've shown a 20% increase in ridership, that's reduced that a little bit. So these, these, the bike, the bikes do save the city a little bit of money because the, uh, their light rail, um, but their, but their light rail also is, is not designed to increase capacity that much more. So it's like, so there's like a, there's like a conch, like a, uh, yeah. Sort of a teeter-totter situation where it's like, we want more people to ride it so that it'll be revenue neutral. But at the same time, if you make it revenue neutral, we won't be able to support that many it's people riding capacity. it. It's beyond capacity. Yeah. yeah. It's, so capac- like, it's capacity is not revenue neutral. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now, so here's a wonderful question. If the Federal Reserve didn't exist and depreciation was allowed to happen, mm-hmm. it might be revenue neutral yeah. if they hadn't had this huge amount of inflation sure. all the time. They're oh, yeah, the yeah. secret inflation, right. basically. Because that's one of the things is like they're drilling more and everywhere in everywhere in the world is drilling more. Like yep. except for like places that have just literally tapped out. Mm-hmm. But like Venezuela didn't provide like a huge amount of oil like 
you know, for you know, many years now, and gas prices have gone up to nearly three dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a refinery problem at yeah. this point yeah. in the United States, and that's what's like and driving all that's refinery regulation. Yeah, too. and that's what's um, driving me insane. It's like there's no reason gas should have gone yeah. up this much, but then like I go in and I was like, I forget what it was that my wife and I were looking at, but it was like suddenly something that was like had gone from like two dollars to four dollars. Right, and it's like I'm not buying this. Right. Like, and that's the thing is like, I don't normally, I mean, you know me, like, I don't mm-hmm. think about like, I've got plenty of cash. I don't think about right. not buy like, I don't go buy a new computer or a new couch every week. And I don't like, I mean, my computer itself is 10 years sure. old. Right. But well, like, I mean, like that's mine right here is seven or eight years old. Yeah. Like still the, use it. The desktop yeah. computer I've got is a work cast off. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I don't like, I can afford to buy a new one and get like an up to date one, but like I'm waiting for other things. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, my daughter needs something, whatever the best is. Like, right. just buy it. Like, yeah. don't waste time. So that's kind of where I'm like, well, now I'm starting to think about stuff where I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why is this suddenly so much mm. more expensive? I forgot, oh, man, it's killing me. But something that literally went up like from like two fifty to four dollars yep. recently. I was just like, what? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. Like, you know, Victoria and I have a grocery budget and uh and you know, we we don't really buy that much more than what we buy every week. And yeah. and there has been a large increase in yeah, particularly like fresh fresh fruit and fresh vegetables. Well, part of that seasonal yeah the seasonal uh, prices, but like the other part is there is inflation and and you know and you know our, our boss doesn't really get a make up for the inflation himself because he yeah. can't raise prices every single year and keep the clients and but it's it is it's the it's this hidden tax is that you know when the government decides to spend more you know you're end up you're gonna end up paying more it may yeah. be a little bit delayed but you're going to well on um, that note on that note yeah this is also this wine prices are going up so uh, yeah but that might be a uh, a supply issue but we'll find a, it's out. an everything issue yeah 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 so uh chateau say or ste i think it's supposed to be saint but i'm not sure yeah. uh michelle um out of washington state which you know somehow would get a ten dollar glass send ten dollar mm-hmm. bottle of wine which is roughly uh two dollars a glass yeah Pretty pretty nice for um it is nice. for a Riesling, mm-hmm. especially uh, like a pretty... nice a nice warm weather. Yeah, sitting outside, I, I could I could see like something that would enhance the flavor of this is the the smoke from the grill, like a nice charcoal charcoal. Uh, yeah, grill that or um, like... spice to a fish. Like yeah. one of the things they talk yeah. about is like spicy Asian food. Yeah. Is this is right. a good pairing wine? Um, so it's a lot of high acidity in it. Um, citrus. Yeah. Heavy you know, what, you know what it reminds me of actually now, now that you're talking about this dude this is what it, it reminds me a lot of uh golden delicious apple peel yes the just yeah. the, the peel of it not necessarily the 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 fruit of it but the peel of the golden delicious yeah so um definitely if you get an opportunity check it out i mean especially ten dollars yeah like yeah really it's great. a really yeah, good goodbye. price point um in yeah, you can get more flavorful Riesling, especially in the German variety. But like, this is one of the things like I think about the American ones is they have a lot of high acidity a lot of times, mm-hmm. and like, there's a lot of complexity in there that like I know mm-hmm. I'm not unpacking. Yeah. And if I picked up another bottle of this, I think like it would be a lot, especially mm-hmm. if I we started another bottle now. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, it I would think definitely so like really push it up and, there. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I occasionally will drink a bottle by myself yeah. in one night. So like one of these days, like when you're visiting me in Dallas, or I'm back here visiting you, I I, th- I could see us like getting not necessarily two bottles of the same one, but having two bottles and doing a, a really long marathon show, maybe breaking yeah. it up into two episodes. Well, I think two episodes. I think yeah. it would be. Um, so for those who don't know, obviously as a podcast, you have to do special episodes for right. the people who are in the in the know. Right. And I think the second episode would be a drunken hour yeah, drunken hour yeah, yeah. yeah or we've where we've drunk two two bottles together yeah yeah so a bottle each so right. yeah 
But um, so 2016 variety dry is the dry Riesling. Um, now Jacob hasn't had it, but I can truly recommend the sweet especially if you enjoy a sweet Riesling. Um, so for those who don't remember, the Riesling scale has a huge variety on it. Uh, dry, semi-dry, semi-sweet, and sweet. Um, so they have a dry and they have a uh, semi, they have a sweet. So it's like the total opposite ends of the spectrum. Very good. And they're both in the, the $10 price point. Um, so really good. And, uh, you know, follow us at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter.com or on Twitter. You see Jacob out there uh, yeah, poking the bear. Yeah, I do that. And and you know what? I, I've also just been kind of like, it's been fun because I've been making like friends on there. Mm. I started following a bunch of uh, wine pages as well. Because before it was like very strictly like anarchists and like yeah. libertarian groups and stuff like that. And then I like, for some reason one came up and I was like, you know what? I need to really be following a whole bunch of these wine groups. Yeah. And, and, uh, then, and there's probably and, like, wine making friends on there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I followed uh, uh, Green Hill Winery, which is, is one here in Virginia that I really like. I should uh, see if Peter's got one. Oh, you know what? I should. Yeah. I, I'll write that down real quick. Uh, I'll write down like a little at symbol at Pina. But also, uh, since I'm moving to Texas, I've been trying to follow some more Texas wine people. And, and if you're going to um, be, since you're going to be in Texas, you should see about um, trying to see if any of the Mexican wines. Oh, Mexico's got a Mexico's yeah. got a really nice yeah. wine growing climate. Well, and actually, the oldest winery in the United States is in Texas, and it was started when Texas was part of Spain. Ooh. And, uh, and then later part of Mexico. You gotta get some bottles from them. That would be very interesting, yeah. 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 Especially if they are using the same vineyards. Yeah, and I don't know if they are or not, because I know that it was a mission that, mm-hmm. that was the first one that started growing wine grapes. Yeah. Um, and I guess they brought them over from Spain to, like... Uh, to do their thing but uh but there's there's some there's some like really great guys on twitter that are from you know eric july is in dallas yeah. area um i don't know if you i mean car camp but i don't he's he's an anarchist guy who's like really into car camping uh who's on uh on there he's from the dallas area um yeah. but i mean like scott horton is from i think the austin area uh there's uh well um bob murphy is down in in the houston area yeah. so, there, so I'm, I'm hoping to kind of like dedicate a little bit more of our time my time there especially since my wife wants to do a lot more traveling and stuff when i'm not working such extreme hours and have a little bit more flexibility particularly financial flexibility um when she's working uh because right now she's been in school for so long but um that maybe maybe i can like plan trips around like seeing some of the people maybe getting like interviews yeah, so, or something for well, the so show. like um to take a page out of the book of uh, stapleton um my goodness uh the guys from lions of liberty i wish yeah. i could say their names at the moment and dave smith right like starting in liberty yeah, mark, behind mark claire and, mark claire um, and um, uh the guy who does electric liberty land oh um, my goodness i can't believe i can't think of his name um well mark claire i really <laughs> i really i really like the other guy too yeah um but like doing a liberty behind the lines yeah yeah, yeah. event right kind of like the texas variant right well and you know my my texas fair idea for childeberg yeah where like it's a wine and liberty festival held at the same time as the Bilderberg. Yes, <laughs> I, I think this is the greatest convention idea right, we've right. ever had. So, with yeah. all that, um, we're abolitionists. Yep. Be free. Have a good one, everybody. Right. Have a great night, everyone. When it gets a wrong, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine, spoiled you to drink wine. Wine, spoiled you to drink wine. Wine, spoiled you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. 
age runs up to 49. All lamb cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hipped that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drank a wine for the other day, wine. Wine for the other day, wine. Wine for the other day, wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, 40, you to drink wine. Wine, 40, you to drink wine.